You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you that we could gather in your name. May your Holy Spirit be present with us in tangible and mighty ways that we may receive from you what it is you have from us. Speak a fresh word to us this morning from your word. And we will be so grateful and thankful to you for the ways that we've experienced you this morning. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a new series. It's called Follow Your Hunger. Six weeks. It's a long series. Six weeks, follow your hunger. We're talking about our appetites. We're talking about our desires. We're talking about our physical hunger. This is the season of Lent, and so this is when we talk about those things. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to send them to me, and I'll do my best to answer them. If you have any answers, to read them this week or either today, today or this week sometime. But the reason we're doing this is because we're in the season of Lent. It's a Christian time heading into Easter where... We reflect where we prepare, prepare our hearts and minds to receive the good news, the most important news of our faith, that Jesus rose from the grave after dying on the cross. And so just like Jesus, our Lord and Savior, went into the wilderness for 40 days to fast and to prepare for that journey, Christians have since almost the beginning. Lent is one of the oldest Christian holidays. I mean, I think it predates Christmas. I know that's the big one for us, but Lent was first. They took 40 days leading up to Easter, and they said, let's take time to just have less, to do less, to eat less, to consume less of whatever we're consuming so we can just make sure we're doing, we're following Jesus in right and real ways. And so that's what this season is. His early followers did the same thing. They took 40 days, the 40 days leading up to Easter to pray, to fast, to give generously to those in need. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this thing. I think addressing our hunger and talking about our bodies is not something that we do in our culture very much. So this might be a little bit weird, and that's okay too. But here's a a quote to help us kind of launch into it. It's from John Piper. Uh, He wrote a book called A Hunger for God. John and I have some disagreements Some pretty strong disagreements, but I like what he says about this. We're still brothers of Jesus, and this is a great quote. They were hungry enough for God's word. He's talking about the early Christians. They were hungry enough for God's word, for God's leading, that they wanted to say it with the hunger of their bodies and not just the hunger of their hearts. They said something like, we want to see you and follow you more, even more than we want to eat. This is what following our hunger does. This is what letting ourselves be hungry does. This is what, uh, scripturally, all these people who are fasting, this is what they're saying, is that we want to experience this in our bodies. We want to experience you, Jesus, in real, tangible ways. And so that's what we're talking about. Six weeks, we're going to go through some stories, look at the ways that people were hungry, and what we can learn from their hunger in scripture. Six weeks, looking at hunger, and helpful lessons that we can learn. As always, we start with the I got one person. No, 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 no. Thank you. 
Start with the bad news. I believe if we start with the bad news, if we can fully grasp the bad news, then we'll better understand the good news of the gospel, uh, the good news that Jesus has for us. So I think the bad news is this, is that we lose focus when we're full. We lose focus when we're full. And we're very full. I'm preaching to myself this morning, y'all. We're very full. We're, this is Americans, by the way. This is 2011, so I don't know how it's changed, but 2011, they estimated that each American or an average American ate 2,000 pounds of food, which if you don't know, that's a metric ton. So uh, good for y'all. We're doing it. Here's the breakdown. Dairy, number one, cheese, yogurt, milk, just slamming it. Number two, vegetables, good for you, except that it's potatoes. So <laughs> that's what they said. <laughs> it's french fries. Fruits there, flour and cereal there, sweeteners here, red meat, oils and fats, poultry, eggs, coffee. I thought coffee would be a lot higher. 24 pounds? That's a week. And fish. Not eating a lot of fish. I thought this infographic, the next one was. Here's, uh, since the 50s, 80s, 2011, we've gone from 119 pounds a year in meats to 170 because we're winners. From the 50s to 2011 with cheese, we've like quadrupled it from seven pounds to 31 pounds, which again, I'm talking to myself. I love, I, this all I eat is cheese. There's this great Christian writer named G.K. Chesterton, and this is not even prepared. This is a, you're getting this one for free. He says, the poets are mysteriously silent about cheese. And that's right. For something so good, you would think there'd be more poems about it, but no. They didn't live in 2011 beyond, apparently. Soda, times five, five times more than we did from the 50s to now. Again, talking to myself, I love a good soda. We are full. We are full, and we lose focus when we're full. John Calvin in the 1500s wrote in his Institutes, he says, whenever... People are to pray to God concerning any great matter. It would be expedient to appoint fasting along with prayer. Surely we experience this. With a full stomach, our mind is not so lifted up to God that it can be drawn to prayer with a serious and ardent affection and persevere in it. Full stomachs helps us lose focus. A full stomach, our mind is not so lifted up. We lose focus when we're full. What do we learn about hunger from Scripture? What do we just learn during the season on the way to Easter? Good news, the good news. I don't have a page number yet, but if you've got a Bible in front of you, pull it out. We're going to read a, a passage from Acts chapter 10. If your Bible looks a little thicker than your neighbor's, then this page number is not going to make sense because you've got the large print Bible. Acts 10, sword drill, is on page 839. 839. I want to read the whole chapter, but that would just make for a bad sermon. So um, we're going to jump around a little bit, 1 through 17, then 28, then 34, and 36. 8, 3, 9, if you got one of the thinner versions. So we've just read the stories of Jesus called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and now we're in the book of Acts. Jesus has died, 
resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now we're reading the story about how his earliest father's followers became church together. That's what the book of Acts is about. The full title is called the Acts of the Apostles. They're trying to figure out what all this means now that Jesus has ascended to the right hand, that the resurrection has happened, that our sins are atoned for on the cross. What does all this mean? And God is helping them discern that in this book called Acts. And in verse 10, we get, I mean, chapter 10, we get introduced to a new character named Cornelius, who was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. One of the biggest problems in Scripture to be solved and one of the earliest obstacles that they faced is, what do we do with these Gentiles, with these non-Jewish people? Are they included or are they not included? And that's what this chapter is about. Chapter 10, starting in verse 1, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion in the Italian company. He and his whole household were pious Gentile God worshipers. He gave generously to those in need among the Jewish people and prayed to God constantly. One day at nearly three o'clock in the afternoon, he clearly saw an angel from God in a vision. The angel came to him and said, Cornelius. Startled, he stared at the angel and replied, what is it, Lord? The angel said, your prayers and your compassionate acts are like a memorial offering to God. Send messengers to the city named Joppa at once and summon a man named Simon, the one known as Peter, Jesus' main apostle. He is a guest at another Simon's house named Simon the Tanner, whose house is near the seacoast. When the angel who was speaking to him had gone, Cornelius summoned two of his household servants along with a pious soldier from his personal staff. He explained everything to them and then sent them to Joppa. At noon on the following day, as their journey brought them close to the city, Peter, Jesus' main apostle, uh, went up on the roof to pray. He became, what does it say? Hungry. If you've got a pen, cross it out. It's very hungry. It's not just penos, it's prospenos. It's very hungry. He became very hungry. It's the only time very hungry is used in all the scriptures, by the way. This is the only time right here. He became very hungry, and he wanted to eat. And so while others were preparing his meal, he had a visionary experience. The Greek word is ekstasis. We know the word ecstasy. He had some kind of ecstatic experience. He saw heaven opened and something like a large linen sheet being lowered to the earth by its four corners. Inside the sheet were all kinds of four-legged animals, reptiles. I always imagine iguanas when I read reptiles because that would be gross. And wild birds. A voice told him, get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter exclaimed, absolutely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke a second time, never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times. Then the object was suddenly pulled back into heaven. While Peter was brooding over the vision, the spirit interrupted him. Look, three people are looking for you. And there's a knock at the door, and it's Cornelius's friends. We're moving on. What was the next verse? I didn't write it down. 28? Thank you. So knock at the door. Peter says he goes with them to visit this guy named Cornelius. Chapter 28 on the next page of my Bible says, He said to them, You all realize it's forbidden for a Jew to associate or visit with outsiders. However, God has shown me what I should never call a person impure or unclean. Jumping down, 34. Peter starts talking to them after Cornelius tells his angel encounter. 
Peter says, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Lord of all. Jumping down to 44, we're almost done. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, who heard the word. The circumcised believers, the Jewish Christians, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on the Gentiles. The word of the Lord. Thanks for reading all that with me. You know how we preach here? Something for us to know, feel, do, and so I always structure my points around head, heart, hands so that we could talk about what God is trying to teach us up here, what God wants us to feel or experience here, and what God ultimately wants us to do with all of this. And so I always, always ask that question, what does God want us to know? And for me, reading all of that through the theme of Lent and hunger, seeing Peter being very hungry, here's what I'm taking away from it, that following our hunger helps us learn in our bodies what we know with our heads. Because sometimes the information doesn't move down. And so following our hunger helps us learn in our bodies what we know in our heads. Look at Peter. Peter's got two pieces of information that he's living his life by, but everything's changed now that Jesus has come. First of all, he knows that Jews are not allowed to eat and hang out with non-Jews. You all realize I'm not supposed to be hanging out with you, right? Information one. Information two. Jesus shows up. The message of peace. The good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. What does he do with this information? What does he do with the revelation of Jesus Christ? What does he do with the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus? The life, death, and resurrection. He knows that Jesus is Lord of all. He knows it. But his hunger helped him move that knowledge into his body. I'm going to tell you, we don't really know something until we know it with our bodies. Like you might have the factoid, but being able to move it into your body is going to help you know it. And this is what hunger does. And you know who knows this? Athletes. NFL, the next big thing, sleep science. Guess what? Getting a good night of sleep is really helpful for you. Who would have guessed? Not this guy. I'm preaching sermons about food, coffee, cheese, sleep. I got problems with all of them got problems with every single one of them. Sleep is so helpful, not only for recovery, which we all know it helps us recover, but they have this thing called sleep replay. It's memory consolidation and muscle integration. Essentially, when you're dreaming, you are replaying the actions you did during practice. You're replaying all the muscle stuff that you've done over and over while you're REM sleeping, which is essentially an active brain in a paralyzed body. And you are just reliving it to the point where they call it a hippocampal replay, which I don't know what that means. It sounds like a baby of a hippopotamus and a camel. <laughs> it's your brain replay. I got a short 40-second video of a sleep scientist talking exactly about this, uh, Michael Howell. He's going to tell us more about sleep replay. Go for it. Even though it doesn't look like uh, anything is happening.
I've ever met are extremely good sleepers. Even though it doesn't look like uh, anything is happening when you're asleep, incredible amounts of activity are actually happening inside your brain. So your brain is putting different connections together and it's amplifying circuits that are important. So for example, for an athlete, it allows them to consolidate in their brain all of the uh, practice gains they made during the day, during their training. And that replaying of those events actually helps strengthen these connections and help improve the performance the next day. Hard cut. Sorry about that sound issue, that was all me. You learn from him though, sleep science. This is why it's important to sleep for athletes, so much so that the NFL is making them wear watches that are talking about how much sleep they're getting, talking about how much recovery they're getting, but this replay situation helps their bodies learn and relearn what they learned that day in their brains. Why am I talking about sleep in a situation about fasting? That's always a wonderful question you should ask. Just because I want to hammer home the point that we know best when our bodies are involved. When we let our bodies take that knowledge from our brains and absorb it, it's the best way of knowing. It's the best way of knowing. And I think like Peter's hunger and his vision and his knowledge about Jesus, his hunger, fasting for us, helps us know our bodies, know with our bodies. It takes his information in fact, I'm convinced, I don't, I don't know, this isn't in the scripture, but what would happen if he was full, right? What happens if he wasn't very hungry? God used a sheet full of food and his hunger to help him know with his body fully that everyone, everyone gets to be a part of what Jesus is doing, that Jesus is Lord of all. So one of the reasons that we, I think Christians have, have encouraged fasting throughout the centuries is because it helps us learn more deeply what God is up to and what God is doing. Our, our, our hunger helps us, teaches us in ways that we never could know just by reading books. This is why I think Jesus tells us when he's fasting in the wilderness for 40 days that humans should not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. Man, when you're hungry, you just learn that in such a more profound way that God is providing for us and taking care of us and helping us than just memorizing that verse. So that's what I think Jesus wants us to know, that we know with our bodies, and when we know with our bodies, we will know more deeply. What does Jesus want us to feel with this hunger theme based on the passage we just read? That following our hunger pushes us past our comfort to experience the real Christ. This is true for me. When I'm hungry, I'm angry. I'm hangry. I'm uncomfortable. And it's not good for anyone involved, including myself. I'm going to get real quiet. I'm going to be real calm. And I'm just going to try to hold it all in. Because my hunger pushes me past my comfort. But the point of following our hunger when it comes to our faith is that hopefully it pushes past our comfort so that we can find the real Jesus. This is so ironic for me, and I hope you catch it, but if you don't, that's okay too. Peter gets this vision. God lowers the sheet, has all these animals on it to eat. Jews are not allowed to eat these animals. They're not allowed to eat, you know, pig, pork. They're not allowed to eat a lot of seafood, shrimp, shellfish. They can't have dairy and meat mixed. No cheeseburgers. 
going on. No split-hooved animals. There's a bunch of birds they're not allowed to eat. There's whole books in the Bible that are dedicated to the laws that God has given these people. And in the midst of that whole chapter is about the kinds of food they're allowed to eat. Peter, raised a good Jewish boy, knows that he's not allowed to eat some of this food. And God lowers the sheet. And inside the sheet are all kinds of animals. And the voice tells him, get up, kill, and eat. A command from God. Get up kill and eat. Peter, so religious and devout, he disobeys God by trying to obey God. Absolutely not, Lord. He knows it's the Lord. He's just said, Lord, God, I'm commanding you to get up, eat, and kill. Kill and eat. You know, figure out the order. Eat them alive. I don't care. (laughs) Peter, absolutely not. I would, I've never, I would never disobey you and eat unclean food. Oh, the irony here is so good. He disobeys God by saying he's trying to obey God, but God's giving him a direct command, and he goes, no, remember all those old commands you gave us? I'm doing those ones. And God goes, but I'm giving you this one. Three times. The voice spoke. It's three times this whole situation happens. God tries to give him the point. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. Three times this happened, and then God just pulls the sheet up. How do you? Peter disobeys Jesus to prove how obedient to Jesus he is. There is too much irony in this. I think about this so often. When we try to put God in nice, neat little boxes, and we're like, this is our religion. We're going to do this. And God goes, maybe I got something out. I got got some boundary pushing. I got some comfort zones that I need you to get out of. Well, we've always done it this way. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way that I know how to do this. And God goes, what about these comfort zones I could just kind of push you out of? We go, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't want to know. We don't want to go. We don't want to step outside of our comfort zones. It's uncomfortable. We hate that. That's the only place we grow, though. God is constantly trying to get us out there. And hunger is a super helpful way for us to do that. But oftentimes we don't want to know. I'm accidentally going to pick on vegans twice today. I love you all. I think you are saints, and I, want, I wish I could be like you. But sometimes we don't want to know. We don't want to know because the God we know in the box is easier and safer than the real God. You ever have something that you don't want to know because you know there might be good out there, but it's also kind of good right here, but it might be better out there? My example with the vegan thing is that they sometimes I'm sending me videos about how our mass farm food production is really cruel to animals. I kind of know, but I don't want to watch your video because I also like hot dogs. I made a slide about it. I don't want to know how hot dogs are made because I want to eat hot dogs with some ketchup, some relish. That's how I take my hot dog. So they send me the information. They tell me, look how bad it is. It's very cruel to our animals. And I go, I believe you. I can't watch. I don't want to know. It's safer on this side of the hot dog than on that side. I just want to enjoy hot dogs. A good Costco dog for like how much? A buck 59 or something with a soda? All day. It's safer over here. It's more comfortable over here. 
I know what's going on over here. They're trying to send me information to push me out there and go, it's really bad over here. You should take a look. I don't want to know. This is what we do. This is what Peter is doing. This is what hunger can be so good for us. It makes us uncomfortable on purpose so that we can see if God is wanting to teach us or lead us outside of our normal routines so that we can follow the real Christ instead of the Christ that we have designed and put in our own box. Jesus used food and hunger to push Peter outside of his religious bubble comfort zones. And I think following our hunger will help us follow the real Christ a lot better as well. Yeah? Lastly, what does God want us to do with this passage, with Peter's story and the theme of following our hunger? Following our hunger helps us break down barriers. Food just has a way of doing it. Following our hunger helps us break down barriers. Peter, after his food vision and the food coming down and being very hungry, and God talking to him three times and says, don't call impure what God has made pure. If I was reading that vision, I'd be like, this is about food. God wants him to eat more, better food. God's got bacon in store for Peter. He's never had it. Now's his time. That's not the lesson God was trying to teach to him at all. The lesson that God was trying to teach to him about that linen and that food is that God has declared that all people get to be a part of what God is doing, that the kingdom is now open for everyone. And Peter understood it perfectly. Peter said, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. One of the first verses I ever memorized, Acts 10.34. It's also repeated again in Romans 2.11. Then he began speaking the word. He told, retold Jesus' story, the, the gospel. And as he told it, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on everyone who was there. And so much so that the Jewish Christians who were there were, were so surprised. Peter followed his hunger, and it helped him to see that God is breaking down barriers. Jesus used hunger and food to help Peter see that barriers were broken down in a way that he never could imagine. For 2,000 years, there was a sharp divide between Jews and Gentiles, and this good Jewish boy never, never would have table fellowship with Gentiles. And God broke it down through Peter's vision of food and his hunger. Again, sorry to pick on the vegans. I'm so sorry. But there's a vegan billboard in Scotland. And I use this in my sociology class because uh, we talk about a thing called taboo. You've all heard the word taboo. And we basically take it to mean something like we just don't talk about that. But a taboo, its strict definition, its scientific de definition, is an action that when you even think about doing it, it makes you cringe. It's norms, behavior that are so ingrained into us that if we even think about breaking that norm, it makes our bodies hurt. And so I think these vegans in Scotland are asking a good question. Why did you draw the line where you drew the line when it comes to eating your food? Right? Where do you draw the line? All animals want to live. Where do you draw the line? Why do you draw the line? Unfortunately for them, this is a very easy question to answer. No, I'm not going to eat horse. Green light, green light, I'm going right here. Right? 
chicken, dairy, pork, cow, beef, duck, duck a l'orange. They shouldn't have made it so easy. If groceries keep getting more expensive, I probably go right here. <laughs> I might add some rabbit. And if we have some kind of apocalyptic horror, I'm gonna go. Do you feel that? <laughs> Do you feel that cringe? That's a taboo. That's a taboo. You feel it? My 18-year-old. The 18-year-olds in my class are like, you would eat a dog or a cat? If I was hungry enough, absolutely. I'm watching an apocalypse show right now about zombies. I saw a little cat run by. People are like, there's not even that much meat on them. Like, I've eaten squirrel and quail. Like, listen, I'll get some meat off of this thing. I'm olives first in an apocalypse. In an apocalypse. This is the dumbest, stupidest, most humorous way that I could try to convince you that hunger breaks down barriers. That if you get hungry enough, in Italy they eat horse. You can find street meat horse. I'm going all the way. If I get, if I get hungry enough, our hunger, if we follow our hunger, it can help us break down barriers. That's a dumb way of talking about a very real spiritual truth. This is... Chef Aron Sanchez, celebrity chef, incredible food. He's got this quote about food. He says, cooking as a family or with friends and loved ones brings us together because we are able to share our culture and heritage through food and give each other nourishment. Coming together and sharing a meal is the most communal and binding thing in almost every place in the world. This is what makes food so special. It is at the center of all cultures and family gatherings. And I hope you can make the one extra leap to talk about maybe this is why Christians abstain from food during this time. At least comfort foods, heavy foods, foods that weigh us down. We really strip back all the, the surplus and it makes us think about the importance of our hunger and it makes us think about the importance of food. And learning to follow that hunger helps us to see that God is breaking down barriers in all kinds of ways. For Peter, it was Jew-Gentile, but for you, it might be a broken relationship that needs mending and reconciliation. Maybe it's a barrier that you've been experiencing, that you're, you're struggling with something in your life, right? Some form of addiction or anger. You need that barrier broken so that you can reach healing on the other side. But ultimately, the ancient wisdom from our Christian brothers and sisters and from God's word is that this is a time to, to follow our hunger, to let ourselves be hungry, to step into a full appetite where we're looking to see what God wants to do in our lives. Following your hunger helps you break down all sorts of barriers because it pushes us past our comfort. Anybody got any questions or comments? I'm going to take a look, and if not, we will move on with our day. The movie, oh, yes, Soylent Green. Soylent Green is his line, somebody told me. If they got to, you know, listen, don't hang out with it. I won't tell you that person's name, but if they get hungry enough, you're on the, you're on the barbecue. That's all I know. Yeah. Two questions. I got two comments. In an apocalypse, which side are humans on? Listen, 
We are to love our enemies and to love our neighbors, and we are to sacrifice, right? This is the, the superpower of Christians. But, uh, you know. <laughs> Two questions about that. I love that. Two comments. Here's my summary. From Peter's story, we see that following your hunger helps you learn in your bodies what you just merely know in your heads. It, it helps push us past our own comfort zone so that we can follow the real Christ instead of the Christ that we put in our own boxes. It helps us break down barriers that God wants us to break down, whether it's between people or whether it's barriers of brokenness and sinfulness in our own life. Hunger helps us break those down by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And with that, would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. Thank you for Peter's story. Thank you for letting him experience such profound hunger and a vision. That means each and every one of us here gets to be included into your kingdom. Us Gentiles get welcomed in because of that. And because of that, we can give you thanks and praise. That the things that were once called impure, you have called us pure. You are making us holy by your life, death, and resurrection. Would you help us this season to just be a little less full? Maybe it's food. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's comforts and frivolities and the things we don't really need. The things we use to distract ourselves from difficulties and pains and our own rebellion against you and your ways. Would you help us to be less full of those things, social media and technology, and help us to follow our hunger in a way that leads us more closely to you. And we trust that as we get closer and closer to you, you will do the healing that we want. You will restore us and redeem us. And we will give you praise for doing such a thing. Table Church, will you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be.